The following sermon was preached at Tower View Baptist Church. We are a gospel-centered, relationship-driven church that exists to know, grow in, share, and serve Jesus Christ. We do all this for the glory of God. For more about us, please check out our website at www.towerviewkc.com. Thank you, Meg. Well done, as always. Well done. Uh, speaking of music, I want to say special thanks to Mark Hinkle. Mark, thank you for filling in and stepping in for Mr. Uh, uh, Gilbert this weekend. Thank you so much. Uh, Gilbert is down in Florida, uh, a guy that grew up on a Pacific island. He said he can never get far or close enough to the water. So uh, uh, he's down chasing alligators or whatever they're doing in Florida and Tampa. So uh, uh, yeah, they're at the beach probably. I know. Uh, so uh, Gilbert is down there, so Mark, seriously, thank you for all your help this week, and appreciate that very, very much. Well, I invite your attention. The bulletin's a little bit off this week, only because God changes direction of things, and, and that is okay. But we're going to be looking at this morning, what is the gospel? And uh, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that we have had uh, a study of what is manhood, what is womanhood. And as we've been going through these, I, I, I was just thinking about this very topic, and uh, it's a good reminder this morning as as we think about our holiday weekend, as we think about what Memorial Day signifies, and all the things we've been talking about through the pulpit, it is a good reminder to us that the gospel is central in all that we do, especially when it comes to what it means to be a man and a woman. So folks, this weekend, what I'd like to do is walk you through the gospel again and apply it to some truths that we've looked at the last couple of weeks. After that, uh, men, we're going to hit some, some lies and some uh, uh, things next week about manhood. The culture will tell you, and then ladies will hit a couple weeks. And then at the end of the month, uh, Brother John Higgins uh, moved on me this morning, usually in usual spot. Uh, John Higgins will be bringing the message a month from today. That seems like a long way off, but really it's going to be here very quickly. So we appreciate that very much. John will be bringing a message on uh, that very topic. So uh, with that in mind, it's been a while since I've done this, but I, 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 I confess, perhaps sinfully or not, I don't know, but I like Jay Leno. I don't like those the guys that are on there today. I don't even know who's, who is on there anymore. Letterman's gone. Leno's gone. Who's left? Do you know? Conan? Who's Conan? Uh, who is that guy? So, 
Yeah, he's a new guy. That's right. He's your generation, Nick, not ours. But no, I'm just messing with you. So you remember Jay Leno, and I've shared some of these before, but I think they are worthwhile, some new ones. He, Jay Leno, the, the talk show host, used to have a thing called Jay Walking. Do you remember this? He used to take a camera around before it was cool to carry a camera and selfie, and he would ask normal people on the streets serious questions about serious things just to see what they had. And I did some research into this, and as far as I can tell, they really were sincere answers and sincere questions as far as a comedian can do that. So here it is, jaywalking. And I haven't done this for a couple years, but here's some updates to some ones. Another episode of jaywalking I saw in preparation for this. How much do you know about the Bible? Oh, wouldn't you love a camera in your face with these questions? I bet you would. How about this? They asked a person, how old is God? Do you think, do you want to know his answer? 255.5 repeating million years old. Hmm. And how many commandments are there? There's 15, the man said. And he asked, and what did God say on the first day of creation? Let there be peace and rest because I need it, is what he told them. Um, that is your student from the middle of the Bible Belt. And here's another one that came in, and uh, they asked, where was Jesus born? And he said, I don't know. How long ago was he born? I think he was born in 1776, is what they said. Um, I hope you realize that was the day of our Declaration of Independence. And he said, he, Leno didn't tell him that, and he said, that was about the time of Columbus came over, right? And he said, yeah, I think so. That's when he sailed the ocean blue, right? In 1776, the same year Jesus was born. Um, get that one. That was a bartender from Las Vegas. Or this one, uh, this one has come up, but a banker of many years, who's a very uh, white-collar guy, was asked the question by Jay Leno, and a very serious look on his face, what were Sodom and Gomorrah? And if you know your Bibles, you will just laugh at this. He said, wasn't Sodom the good town, and wasn't Gomorrah the really, really, really bad town that happened? Oops. How many days, banker, did it take for God to create the universe? Eight days and seven nights, like a vacation package or something like that. Um, which was swallowed by the whale? And he said, I thought the whale was only in the book of Moby Dick. I'm not sure this happened any other way. And which book is not in the Bible? And he's asked this a couple times. I've watched these episodes. Leviticus, Degenerus, or Exodus? And do you know what the man said? And I think he was sincere. He said, I think the book of Degenerus wasn't in the Bible. And he actually got it correct. The one Bible fact out of 12 questions that were asked. Isn't that crazy? Does that not blow your mind? Uh, I don't know what I would do with a camera in front of my face, and I, 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 sh I shudder every time we do that on Sunday nights. But uh, by, we stand, don't we, in the shadows of the pages of the Bible. It is a reminder that you can become apathetic with what you actually know or think you know. Some of these people were from the Bible Belt, the buckle of the Bible Belt, Louisville, Dallas, and I think uh, another one was from Chicago. I'm not sure that's Bible Belt territory, but it's close enough. We've longed for generations, for generations and generations, for people to know the Bible. But we have Bibles in every shape, size, and color. You can get one for Mom's Day, Dad's Day, Another Day that I didn't even know exists Day, and you can get all sorts of Bibles. But what we fail to recognize very clearly is that often we don't know what's contained within the pages of the Bible. And so again, we grow apathetic, and I think there's an issue of reacting to God's word. This, Jay shows comedically that our problem is not 
that we don't have access to the Bibles. He shows comedically and, and funnily, if, I, if that's even a word, that we don't know our Bibles. And friends, as we talk about being a biblical man, being a biblical woman, it comes back to what is the gospel? And this morning, that's where I want to go because it's about mining the scriptures, memorizing the scriptures, and meditating on them. And friends, that's where it all comes out to be. If we are at a place where we know exactly what God's word teaches, then we can know that we can walk as a biblical man or a biblical woman by God's grace to the best knowledge that we have. Friends, according to the scriptures, the greatest knowledge that a man can have, the greatest knowledge that a woman can have, is to know God himself. I mean, think about it. If we handed out a piece of paper today and said, tell me who God is, would you pass? Would our church pass? Would we be able to pass the test? I am so glad I'm not taking finals anymore. I hate finals. I especially hate finals that are curriculum for the whole year. Don't you remember those tests? I love teachers that used to say, just the test over the last five weeks. And there's always that one teacher, and almost all of them now, they say, no, we have, we have standards to meet, so you have to take the whole thing. What if God tested you on everything you know about the Bible? Would you pass? Would you know it? And not just know it, would that truth be in your life as a reality? In all of our Christianity, are we really learning the most important things? Friends, so I want to look at that today. What is the gospel? What is the importance to receive it as a man or a woman as we talk about what it means to be a biblical man or woman? And where is the power that comes from the gospel as we do these things? Uh, David Platt uh, has what you might call the big idea today. I told you I sh- changed this midstream, and I want this quote to go up, and Nelson will put it up there. He said this, He said, God's capacity to forgive is greater than our capacity to sin. Friends, our God is limitless in his forgiveness, and we should be two, one to another. But as it relates to this topic of biblical manhood and biblical womanhood, perhaps the last two weeks you have felt like, Lord, I can never recover. If I've been on this path of what culture's taught me about being a man or a woman, I can never recover. Is there any hope for me? Or many of you have thought, this isn't right. I, I, I don't agree with what the scripture says, but Lord, I want to believe. Help me in my unbelief. Wherever you are with this series, friends, God's capacity to forgive is greater than your capacity to sin. And there are many of you in this congregation who are making strides, both in your manhood, biblically, and in your wood, womanhood, biblically. And you feel like you're just trudging through the slodge of despair, as the old uh, book used to say, from the uh, Pilgrim's Progress. So friend, what is the purpose today? The purpose is today is to go back to our roots. What is the gospel? Because as you go through being a man or a woman of God, you need to remind yourself of this gospel. Because when you want to live as God wants you to live, you will struggle and you will fight and you will fall flat on your face more times than you know. But our gospel reminds us that our God is bigger than that. Friends, the marker of those who understand the gospel and apply it to biblical manhood and womanhood is even though they stumble and fall, when they mess up, they run to God and not from him. Why? Because they understand that although they want to be perfect as their father is perfect, and they're trying their best, that the gospel is the power by which they do that through the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at three things today, and Nelson will put those up. We're going to look how the gospel is for all. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1, the gospel is how we are saved, and the gospel is of first importance. And this could be a straight preaching message about the gospel, but again, I want to apply it to our current series. And you know, I, I told you this before, but I would rather do a funeral rather than a wedding. Does that sound odd to you? 
Because you know at a wedding, you can get up and say, hot dogs are the greatest thing ever since sliced bread, and everyone will say, oh my goodness, that was so beautiful. Right? But if you get up at a funeral and say, hot dogs are the greatest thing ever since sliced bread, they'll look at you and like, what are you doing? This is a serious time. Why are you being so silly? Friends, you could recite Mary had a little lamb at a wedding, and as long as they kiss the bride, all is good. Amen? That's what happens. But a funeral is different. A funeral reminds us time and time again that death is too obvious, that, that, that the only things that matter are the things which give us hope. And in that moment, the only thing that gives us hope for anyone is that they know Jesus Christ. Friends, if the gospel is enough to inform our weddings, and it is, and it's enough to inform our funerals, and it is, how much more should it inform the very things that God is shaping us to be? Biblical men and biblical women. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is dealing with those very subjects of death and the doctrine of the resurrection. So with that in mind, will you join me in standing, if you're able this morning, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. Again, for many of you a rehash, for many of you a refresher, but I pray for most of us a rejuvenation of what we are outside of Christ, who we are in Christ, and where we are going with Christ. That's what I want you to see. 1 Corinthians 15, 1-4. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and in which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you. Unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve, and they appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom who were alive, but some have fallen asleep. The gospel is not only the power for our church to be gospel-centered, but the gospel is also the power for you to be all that God has called you to be as a man, as a woman of the Lord, young, old, middle-aged, whatever it may be. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you on a holiday weekend, Lord, with many folks traveling at different churches, we pray that you would reinvigorate us, Father, that you would illuminate our hearts by your Holy Spirit to see that the power is not in a moral change to be a better man of God or woman of God, but, Father, this morning that you may remind us once again that it goes back to what you have done for us in Christ and who we have come out of outside of Christ. Father, thank you that your word is sufficient for all matters of faith and practice. We know that. We pray that. We ask for that today in Jesus' name. You may be seated. Amen. The first thing I want you to see, if you have your Bibles open, we're just going to walk phrase by phrase, guys, through this passage, is that the gospel is for all. The gospel is for all. And in this simple truth, we have rediscovered something that most of us have long forgotten, even longtime church members is that the gospel is not just the small toddler steps, or if you're our Seth at home, Seth's like rolling like a roly-poly everywhere, getting him wherever it is. The, the gospel is not the roly-poly effect of just getting to be a Christian, though it's part of it. It is the gospel, the message and means of Christianity. It's everything that you have, especially your faith. And Paul had already preached, let me remind you, the gospel to the Corinthians. Fifteen chapters in, a book about uh, all sorts of things from, from not having favoritism and disunity in the church in chapter 1 to how to handle uh, marriage in chapter 7 to all the things leading up to chapter 15. Paul goes back to the basics. 
And he tells them, as he did at other places, that his greatest need, that Timothy's greatest need, that the, the church of Corinth's greatest need is to continue to know the gospel, to remind them what it is, what it isn't. And at their conversion, when they were saved, at the moment they became Christians, that they would start a journey that would encompass an entire eternity of discovery. And the discovery of God that he's given us in all these ages. Friends, you know this. Many of you have been a part of this. There are so many conferences today. So many things that are out there to excite your emotions, to fill you with passion that, that, that you go for a Friday or Saturday and you get revved up for the Lord. And then you step in normal Sunday routine at church and you look at other people and you say, well, where is the passion? Where are you at? Where's the excitement? And you, you have a mountaintop experience and in the end, Oftentimes, those experiences are just little fires that were built for a little time that have little effect that burn out within a few days. But when you have an enduring, genuine passion born from the gospel, it informs everything that you do. It informs men to stand up and rise up to lead the church in the home as we've looked at the last couple weeks. It gives passion and courage to women to buck the cultural system that says, I'm in charge, and to remember that you're unique, but differently created in a way that God has given you, all by the power of the gospel. How do you keep going when things are tough? It's by a deepening understanding that the gospel is for all. And I want you to see that first phrase. He says, this is a gospel that he preached. It's a gospel he preached to you. Friends, remember, it is God himself who set up the foolishness of preaching. I mean, you ever think about that? You come and listen to a 45-minute sermon each week. How many of you all would ever go out on any other given day and listen to a 45-minute speech by even someone else? You probably won't do it. That's why, you know, I, you know all these rallies of different things, they're, they're good and bad in some instances, but the, the, so those speeches go for two hours, and they just keep bringing up speakers and speakers and speakers. But friends, at the church, there is no power unless God moves upon the message. And it's foolishness. I'm a fool up here right now. Who, who was that who used to say, don't pity the fool? Who was that? Mr. T. Friends, I want you to know that each time we get up here to preach the gospel, the foolishness of what happens here is the reminder that how we do things as Christians is going to be different from what the world says. True gospel preaching is always foolish. It'll always be foolish. And friends, just as we cannot take away the power of the gospel by saying, you know, um, why don't we just, uh, just if they want to come, let them come. Don't, don't preach at them. Don't teach at them. Friends, we take away the power. Everything you do as a Christian is going to offend someone. Everything. Even with the most kind-hearted effort. Read 1 Peter 4. But friends, any attempt to remove the offense of the gospel defeats the purpose for which God saved you. You weren't saved because someone shared the gospel with you in a mighty way. You were saved because through the power of the gospel and the power of the Spirit, you were brought to a place of repentance and belief. We live in a culture that's bound in sin like iron chains and moral stories, charming sayings, life lessons shared from the heart of someone in the name of Christ has no real power apart from the gospel. That's crazy thought. But friends, as you grow as biblical men and biblical women, there's no real power to do that unless you go back to the roots. Unless you go back to the roots. And he goes on there in verse 1 and he says, it's not only a gospel that has been preached, it's also a gospel to be received. 
You see, for men to be saved, the gospel must be received. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Romans 12, or excuse me, Romans 10, 17. But what does it mean to receive the gospel? Many of you, you know, adults, you, you know this. We're learning this with our kids. We would rather sleep in on Christmas Day. Uh, you know, I don't know about you. Uh, our kids are up. Simeon was up at 4.30 this morning, you know, partying in his crib, ready to bounce out and bust out in the world. And that's life. But you know how it is. On Christmas Day, you want to sleep in, right? Grandparents, you get that privilege because they don't live at your house anymore, most of y'all. But you like to just receive the gift once a year of getting able to sleep a few extra hours. But your kids don't want to do that. When they receive it, they want to get in there and they want to get in dirty. They want to get in those presents and open them. I mean, let's be honest, they've already looked at them anyway. They know what's coming. But they want to receive the gift. They want to receive it. But friends, there is something so ordinary with our receiving of things. You receive mail. I don't know about you. I don't get very excited about getting the mailbox every day because it's all junk anyway. But I do want you to get excited about what this word receive means in the Greek. The gospel you received is not a ho-hum, another Christmas, let's just get this done so I can watch football and take a nap. The word receive here is a powerful word. It is a word that says it is, it is to reject the world and receive the gospel. It is to reject the world and to receive the gospel. That's what this means. It means you are demonstrating just how radical it is. You are saying to every other religion, every other faith, every other ism, every other thing in your life, every other cultural norm, every other Dr. Phil talk about what they think you should do in your life. The gospel informs us that when you receive Christ, it radically changes who you are. And to receive it, you are a different person and you cannot stay the same. To receive it, is to risk everything for the belief that Christ is who he said he was. And it means that you trust exclusively in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what we know. To know the gospel is to trust exclusively in him. Friends, you would think it careless if someone uh, didn't plan well. You know, uh, many of you, uh, we were talking in our Sunday school class about headstones and things and lots of fun uh, things in our class, and we talked about, do you have a headstone, do you not? And uh, we joke that our class is the class you go, you don't exit out of our class unless you exit out of the world. That's how we joke in our class. But one thing you know is that you would be remiss in your duty as a, as a man if you didn't plan for your family, if you didn't have savings of some sort by God's grace, if you didn't uh, try to take care of your family even when emergencies hit. You tell people not to put all your eggs in one basket and burn bridges behind you. Why? Because you know when you do that, you lose any exit point that you have. But friends, when you receive the gospel, you have planned well. Because when you receive the gospel, you receive the most exclusive thing that you can ever have. To receive the gospel is to put up, back in the day, talk to the hand because the face ain't listening sort of thing. That's what it means to receive the gospel. And as biblical men, as biblical women, when you say that, you say, world... I know you want me to be a, a girly man like Arnold Schwarzenegger was. And I know that you want me to lead in ways that God has not called me to lead. When you put your faith and you receive the gospel, friends, it literally changes everything how you look at life. Literally everything. After all, wasn't it C.S. Lewis who said that in the Chronicles of Narnia that Jesus is not a tame lion and he's certainly not safe he has the right to do anything he asks us to do, but he is good and he is worthy. That is our God.
And when a person receives the gospel, it radically changes everything. It's like when you take a, uh, we like to go to a creek near our house and throw rocks in there. It's like you take a big boulder and you throw it in the middle of there and it just shakes from the epicenter out. If you are a Christian and if you receive the gospel, it's what has changed you forever. It's also, lastly in this first part, it's a gospel in which you stand. Notice what he says. It's not only a gospel he reminds them about, he's preached to them, they receive, but it's also a gospel in which you stand. Friends, when the world says, do this, when the world says, do that, the gospel is not only to be believed on, it's to be stood upon. The fact that you know Christ is affirming that you've truly received him is that you stand in the gospel is that you stand on it together. And Nelson will put that up there for you. Standing is evidence of your conversion. Standing is evidence of that. Repeated indifference to what God asks you to do is evidence that you have not received the powerful gospel, the the dunamis, the, 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 the dynamite, which is the gospel. Friends, we all stumble in many ways. We do. We all stumble in many ways in how we handle uh, being a biblical man or a biblical woman especially. But one thing we know is what Matthew 7 says, and we looked at this the other day with our kids. In the words of Jesus, the one who hears and receives and stands in the gospel is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and yet it did not fall, for he was founded on the rock. Friends, to receive and stand on the gospel is to set you apart even within your own church. We are living in a day and an age where standing firm on what Christ has asked you to do has become a radical thing. It used to be radical to wear one of those Lord's Gym t-shirts. If you know what I'm talking about, you know what it is. It used to be radical if you wore a WWJD bracelet. But to be radical today is not to be a Christian subculture. To be radical today is to do what God has asked us to do in his word as it relates to every area of our lives. But friends, even the most godly among us will fight against sin, and we are fraught with many, many failures. That's what we know. However, in the midst of that, there is a deep struggle and conviction, and we demonstrate an ability to stand on it, as you will see up there on the screen. Friends, one thing, even in sin, the gospel shines through a true Christian. Even in sin, a gospel shines through a true Christian. Your worst sin could be the evidence that God uses to convict someone else as you handle that sin. You may be off balance at times. You may have a general course of your life, but you stand because God allows you to stand. He gives you the strength. He saved you. He holds you. And though you may battle with sin, a true conviction leads to righteousness that is evident. You know, it's kind of like these commercials. I never got into this. I don't know if you were into this. Uh, Coke is all over the place right now. Uh, have you seen these signs? Like, uh, we've been driving down downtown with Simeon a lot lately, and uh, up on the billboard, it's like, share a Coke with me. Uh, have you seen these things? You remember a couple years ago, they had names of Coke bottles. Did anyone collect those? Anybody? It's okay if you did. Uh, Diana, I see you there in the back. Amen. Uh, thank you for being the one person, and, and that's awesome. You know, I don't know if you ever got your name on a Coke bottle. You're supposed to buy it, I guess, and share it with that person. Is that right? You find someone's name and share a Coke with them, whatever it is. Well, I just looked this up. I thought, what in the world? How big is Coke around the world? 91% of countries in the world have heard of Coke. Not Pepsi, I'm sorry. Any Pepsi drinkers in here, I've offended you. I'm sorry. It is what it is. 
74% of people, according to Coke's website, have seen a Coke. 51% have tasted a Coke. And friends, Pepsi was so small on that scale, they didn't even take any statistics. I'm sorry, I'm just going to let that be what it is. (laughs) Jeff Otterman, I know where you live, so don't worry. I know. But friends, also, if you believe the statistics, 10% of the world has heard the gospel as it is taught. Isn't that crazy? Isn't that nuts? Friends, sometimes the greatest work of the gospel is remembering that the gospel is for all. The greatest work of the gospel is that sometimes as you lead your family, men, as you lead them in a way that God wants them to be led biblically, spiritually, parentally, Ladies, as you fulfill your equally God-given role, distinct role, yes, but equal before God role of being the helpmate and serving in the ways God has called you to, that number will rise up. Now, people don't come to Christ by osmosis. They don't come to Christ by just looking at your life. You need to speak the gospel. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. But friends, in our community, as we've walked these streets the last two years, there are so many broken homes. Brother Matt, you understand this. You've worked with this. There's so many broken homes in this neighborhood. Some are on their third, fourth, fifth marriage. And some some of these teenagers don't even know who their father is, their mother is. But friends, would you pray, as this gospel is for all, that the gospel is what you received, it's what you stand on, that, that in this church, that as we rise up, as God has called us to, that we may be the salt and light that stands in the gap for many who do not see it. People may know who Coke is, but I pray even more in this neighborhood, that 91% around the world who's heard of Coke, I pray in our neighborhood 91%, I pray 100% of people know that at Tower View, we have men and ladies who want to stand as God wants them to stand. How? Only by God's grace in the gospel that is for all. Secondly, notice what he says here in verse 2, that the gospel is how we are saved. Look back at verse 2 if you have your Bible open. hope you do. It says, I preach to you in which you received, in which you stand, at the end of verse 1, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Friends, there is nothing greater via the world or salvation than the gospel. Don't lose that luster. The greatest promise of the gospel is salvation, and every other promise, every other command from Scripture is derived from that. The gospel is the power of God for salvation for everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord. That is an awesome promise. It is the outcome of our faith, 1 Peter 1.9 says. But God can give us no greater gift, and we can have no greater motivation to live the lives, men and women, that God has called us to, than to know and remember that Christ gave his all for us, and he saved us in the only way that he could. On the cross, in the burial, and in the resurrection. Friends, we are sinners. Let me remind you of where we've come from, if I may, for a second. The scripture says we are sinners by nature. You weren't born with a clean slate. You weren't born, uh, you know, half good, half bad. You were born radically depraved. We were lawbreakers and criminals without excuse or plea before the holy justice of God. When we deserve nothing less than eternal condemnation, now we are saved by God's Son, by faith in Him alone. While we were helpless sinners and enemies of God, Christ died for us. Though through him we who were once far off have now been brought near. And in him we now have redemption through his blood and the forgiveness of trespasses according to the riches of his grace. 
What more could we want? What more could we desire? What more is it enough to motivate our lives to live for him? What other promises do we need? If you have looked back over the last couple weeks and you said, Darren, I'm not sure that this manhood leading thing is for me. Friend, Christ died that you would redeem the world, not salvifically, but you would redeem the promises of Genesis back through the world as you lead. Ladies, you say, Darren, I, I just can't, I can't do that. That's not how I was raised. I was raised to fight to buck authority, to do whatever I could. Have you checked your heart before the gospel of God? The gospel is, motivates us so much because it's how we were saved. And if we're saved by the same God who says to follow men this way and ladies this way with respect equally before but distinctly roles, then what could we ever give that he could not ask us to give? But I want you to notice it is a gospel that you hold fast. It's a gospel you hold fast fast. You are saved, Paul says, and there's the key word, if you hold fast. I remember uh, uh, being at, the, uh, at Aldi yesterday, and uh, if you've ever been at Aldi, you know that you save lots of money, but there's also lots of kids going crazy and running around, because Aldi's just a cramped little store. And I remember this lady saying that if it, she told her kid, if you go through the line, and if you put all the things on the cart, if you do that, then you will get a snack. Well, mom didn't know that he'd already gotten into the chocolates in the back of the line before he put them on the thing and she paid for him. He'd already eaten a whole chocolate bar before he got it paid. He took the promise result without doing the promise. And he did it. Friends, as Christians, we have been given the greatest promise. We have been given the greatest promise that if we hold fast to the gospel, if we hold fast, fast to the fact that God loved us so much he gave us his son. If we hold fast to every command he gives us, then we will be blessed. In other words, a person is saved if he holds fast to the gospel. If he does not hold fast to the gospel, we would question whether he's saved. And friends, as we've thought through these issues the last couple of weeks, what it means to be a man, what it means to be a woman, the question should not be if I want to do this. The question is, God loved me so much, why would I not? Because he has asked us, if we know him, if we hold fast to the gospel, to do what he says. To put it plainly, the validation of genuine conversion is that the one who professes faith in Christ and keeps growing in that through the full course of his life is a Christian. I'm not saying that if, if you have not lived up to what God has called you to be man or woman, you're not saved. That's not what I'm saying. But friends, if you are struggling, as many of you have confessed to me, to really live out what God has asked you to live out the last couple of weeks. And if you, I'm saying a lot of review here, but if you, are, if you haven't heard those, they're online. Uh, we can get some notes to you. But if you're struggling to live that out and you are really honestly wanting to do it by God's grace, friends, that is great encouragement to you. Because as you struggle in sin, as you hold fast, that shows that God is working in your life. And it's true that you were saved at a specific moment, but the biblical assurance that we've passed from death to life is not just simply one time that you pray to prayer. Let's remind ourselves of that. It is examining your life from the moment you profess Christ until you die. Matthew 24, 13 says, he who endures to the end will be saved. So Darren, you're saying that this is a strongest, fastest, fittest 
contest to get into heaven, that it's like evolution? Is that what you're saying there, that you have to do this and be the best species? No, that's not what we're saying. But what we are saying is that the evidence that you know Christ, according to the scripture, is that you hold fast to him, even through trial, even through sin, even through despair, even through tough times, and that by his grace, he carries you through, makes you more like him, makes you desire him more, makes you want to be like him more. That's evidence that you know Jesus Christ. Although it would be radical in the modern ages, we would do well to cry out to the masses, Jesus promises you at least two, maybe three things. Jesus gives you eternal life, but he gives you a cross to bear joyfully for the rest of your life. That is our gospel. It's kind of like that story. Many of you have been down to uh, uh, Fantastic Caverns before. You know that in Springfield. Uh, Fantastic Caverns has nothing on uh, the Great Mammoth Cave. Many of you have been to Mammoth Cave out in Kentucky. Uh, we got to camp out there. Uh, excuse me, I'm going to get a Kleenex really fast. That's gross. Um, uh, many of you remember a couple uh, uh, times when you've gone down to the seas. Pardon me. Uh, as I do this, as you've gone into caves, they take you in the deepest recesses of the caves. And you know what they do? You remember this? You know, you've done it. They turn off the lights, don't they? And a lot of times, if you're with little kids, what do they do? They freak out and cry. I freak out and cry every time the lights go out because I don't like, yeah, it's just not fun. We're used to having a phone with us all the time, and the lights are out, and the water's dripping. You hear all those things. And they're doing that to dramatize completely how dark and silent it is before the earth's surface. I remember one time that uh, little, uh, we were at Mammoth Cave with our former church a couple years back, and uh, three years back, and I remember the voice of a brother to a little girl saying something to the effect, don't cry, don't cry. Someone knows how to turn on the lights again. And she just stopped crying right there, and you could just see the confidence come back in her. Friends, as we Remember that the gospel is how we are saved. It's almost like being in a cave. In a real sense, the message of the gospel is this. The light is available even when the darkness seems utterly overwhelming. And friends, as we talk through the next month and and consider what it means to stand up as men and women, I want you to remember that. Because at times, as you live out for Christ, you are going to seem like you are the darkness and the world is the light. Darren, it's too hard to stand up to be a biblical man. It's too hard to stand up to be a biblical woman. It's too hard for us to teach our our sons and daughters. I I just want to give it up. My friends, you need to remember that if you are saved, you stand by the power of God. And in that power of God, nothing is impossible that he calls you to. If he's calling you to it, as the old Hallmark card said, he'll get you through it. And that is so true. Let's end on this last point. The gospel is not only uh, for all, it's not only how we are saved, but look back at verse 3 and 4 there. The gospel is of first importance. Notice what Paul tells them. He said, I delivered to you literally a messenger coming, a herald coming, as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and verse 4, that he was buried, and then he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Friends, there is no word of greater importance than the gospel. There are many messages in the Bible, many messages. The, uh, you know, 
there are several things. There's the story of creation. We love the old Bible stories, what Simeon calls it at our house, the old creation story. He loves that story because they love the animals and the stars and, and all these things. And in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and all that great stuff. But that bows before the cross. I love the law of Moses, not because I like to keep the law, but God commands us in part to do that as we've studied. But all those laws they're back there, interesting to look at, all the dietary laws, all the interesting factoids that are there, and all the prophets point back to the cross. So many, and I remember in 1997 reading my first Left Behind series book. Many of you know that, Tim LaHaye, Jerry Jenkins, you remember that series? Through all the wonder that I saw coming back from North Dakota, driving those 10 hours on I-29 back to our small town. Even the second coming, all the wonder, all the charts of dispensationalism, all the non-charts of all the other non-dispensationalists, all the things that are out there about the second coming of Christ, that will bow down to Jesus Christ and the gospel. You will know everything about Christ when he comes. You will know everything. There's nothing more important. There's nothing more useful for your Christian life. There's nothing more necessary for the promotion of God than to remember what Paul just said. Notice that he does not say, if you would just study a little more end times theology that I received and gave to you, or if you would study 10 steps to be a better uh, exerciser for the glory of God in Jesus Christ, He doesn't say those things, and those aren't necessarily bad things. Although Paul didn't write 10 things about how to be a good exercise of Christ. He says what? What is the first importance? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. He reminds them after writing for so long that everything goes back to the gospel. The gospel is the deep thing of Christianity, folks. If you want to know God, know the gospel. If you want to know how to be a better husband, know the gospel. If you want to know how to be a better mother, know the gospel. If you want to know how to be a better brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, as you should in this church, know the gospel. If you want to know how to live to the glory of God, then know the gospel. We have to divorce ourselves from even our culture of Christianity that says, man, the gospel is like the first steps. It's like when you, you, uh, you sign up for classes, you sign up for the class 101 because those are the easiest ones. No one wants to take 401 or 375. They want 101. Folks, in Christianity, we want to go to class 1977 because that's getting us closer to the gospel, which is closer to Christ. And if you've lost your passion, Ma'am or sir, over what God has done for you, you need to remind yourself of that. That is your motivation to live out as God tells you. He says also it's a gospel we handed down and delivered. I need to hurry for sake of time. But in the above text, he says it has been handed down and delivered. Friends, I want you to know that uh, Galatians 1, 11, and 12, I'll read that for you. It says, I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel, Paul speaking, which was pre- preached to me is not according to man, For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ. Friends, the gospel is a gospel that's been handed down and delivered. That is awesome news for us. That means that the gospel is from God and given through the apostles. The gospel is not an invention of men. The Bible is not uh, a Russian roulette of, of opinions that came together in a nice book, leather back a cheap imitation leather back form for half the price of the actual thing. It came to you in power through the grace of God 
and the greatest of Christians will never conquer the gospel, but every true Christian will be mastered by the gospel. Each generation must remember that the gospel was handed and delivered to us perfectly, without error. Now, that doesn't mean people have distorted it. Friends, let's be honest. The Crusades happened in 1095 under Pope Urban. That doesn't mean that every crusader who went out trying to kill Muslims for the sake of salvation and and getting out of purgatory was correct. That doesn't mean every Christian who said that it is wrong for a black man to stand with me in the service because we are better than them was ever right. That is absolutely wrong. There's so many things in the name of Christ we can mention from the big stuff to the little stuff. But through all that, God has delivered to you the gospel. And are you grateful for that, church? Each generation of Christians must realize that truth. The gospel is given through the apostles. And I also want you to see that any other gospel leads to eternal death. Our Mormon friends will knock on your door and get you to think that they will tell you that the gospel was distorted for 1,815 years, whatever it was, until Joseph Smith was 17, 18 years old. Friends, it's funny because the, the message has never changed. It's always been the same. The greatest truth is that Jesus loves me and he loves me so. That has not changed, despite the sin of people in the name of Christianity for many years, including our own. But it's also a gospel to be explained. I want you to see that. He said that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. But what we learn is that the gospel rests on two pillars. It rests on the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. The, 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 the death of Christ, because if Christ did not die as he came to die, then nothing we have makes sense. Christ had to die the death we couldn't die and live the life we couldn't live so that we would have eternal life. But also the resurrection, six weeks since Easter. Isn't that amazing? It's hard to believe. Six weeks. But friends, since that time, Jesus is still risen. He is risen, church. Indeed. Yes. But notice he also puts there that he was buried. Why is it important that he was buried? I mean, that's just a, I mean, isn't it kind of obvious to Aaron that, I mean, if a guy dies, he, you know, he goes in the ground or the cave or whatever. Yes. But it's prophecy fulfilled. The same God who told you that you are able to be all you can be in him tells you that the most minute detail is important to him. And that important detail is that When he was buried, he didn't stay there, but he rose up again. And it validates his death and lays the groundwork for the resurrection and the ascension. Husband, wife, you must remind yourself that you're going to sin. You must remind yourself that you are a sinner. And you must remind yourself so much that you must not only proclaim the gospel, you must explain the gospel. You must not only proclaim it, you must explain it to yourself daily. The greatest exercise you can have to be a biblical man, to be a biblical woman, is to remind yourself that you have sinned. You have fallen short of the glory of God. You deserve death, spiritual death at that. But Christ, but God, but God who is rich in mercy while we were dead in our sins saved us. And that's the grace to cover your marriage. That's a grace to cover your struggle to fight and say, I want to live as God wants me to live. That is the grace that empowers you to be all that God wants you to be. I don't mean that in a smiley TV preacher sort of way. And I mean that. I've shared this illustration before, but it always, I always get a kick out of this because it explains this point so well. 
Friends, there was a judge, and this is the actual photo of this lady doing this. The judge was baffled to see this 80-year-old lady in court for shoplifting at a grocery store. Imagine that. And when he asked her about his offense, she confessed to stealing one can of peaches. And the judge asked her, ma'am, how many peaches were in the can? And she simply said in her nice 80-year-old tone, sir, there were six. Oh, but there's always a husband somewhere, isn't there? The husband, upon learning the full extent of her crime, after she was ordered to spend one day in jail for each of the six stolen peaches, stood up and said, sir, I want you to know she also stole two cans of peas, and you need to know that. (laughs) I won't comment on biblical manhood with that guy, but we'll let it be. Friends, some things need to be explained, don't they? They they need to be explained, and he's probably in his good right to explain to the judge, uh, goodwill or not, about everything that happened. But friends, you need to remember that the gospel itself is the greatest explanation for everything that you do in the Christian life. It is. It's the greatest motivation. It's the greatest thing. You can study psychologist book after psychologist book. You can watch Degeneres. You can watch Phil. You can watch reruns of Oprah from 1987. You can go back to Dick Van Dyke and the, and the rock and band and figure things out about life, but you'll never figure out how to be a man or a woman apart from knowing the gospel and knowing his word. That's what we know. And for some of you, it might feel like someone's called you out, like you stole a can of peace too, and you're in more trouble than you seem. But friend, I want you to know there is grace at the cross to cover a multitude of sins. That's what we know. Let me leave you with four quick things. I'm going to have to ask uh, Nelson just to throw these up uh, for those taking notes, and we'll end here. Friends, the more you rejoice in your own forgiveness, as it relates to biblical manhood and womanhood, the quicker you will forgive others, Christian or not. Many of you may be so sour towards your spouse or, your, or someone in your life who did not lead in a way that's glorifying to God in the home or at the work or church, whatever it is. The more you rejoice in your own forgiveness in Christ, the quicker you'll be able to forgive them because Christ has saved you. And secondly, the doctrine of grace and redemption keeps us from seeing any person or situation as hopeless. Many of you have gone out, and we've joked about it. Some of you uh, said, you know, I don't, think my, I don't think my husband could ever live up to those ideals. And we laugh about it. We do. We say, that's too high to reach up to. And we joke about that. But friends, seriously, there's nothing you're facing from this pulpit, from any teacher that comes through this, this in your class that's teaching the Word of God that is hopeless for you to change or be all that God's called you to be. Aren't you grateful for that? Many of you grew up being the last person to be picked at recess because you were the, you were the scrawny, skinny, non-fast person that they just needed an extra a warm body to sit on second base and get kicked in the face with a kickball. And you thought life was hopeless. Well, guess what? It might, you might still feel that way in a lot of ways, but with Christ, no person is beyond hope. No situation is beyond hope by God's grace. Third, unity will only be real and lasting when it's a byproduct of the steady eye of pursuit of truth. Friends, as we look towards the gospel, we will see that the gospel is enough to inform everything that we do. And I want you to remember, in your marriage, if you're, if you're a widow, if you're a widower, if, if it's been a while since you, maybe you're divorced and you're single now, friends, your greatest delight is in the gospel. That is what it is. There may be a lot of wrongs in your past relationships and your past whatever with what it means to be a biblical man or a biblical woman, but delight yourself in the gospel today.
that Christ loves you and he loves that person the same even if they don't know Christ, but you pray they come to Christ. The gospel's enough for the church. It's enough for your, your life. Let's go before the Lord in prayer today. Father God, as we close out with a couple songs today, we ask that the gospel would be enough for each man, each woman here, each young man, each young woman here, whether they are age eight up to 88. Father, you know, but I pray that as we go through what it means to be all you've called us to be in the coming weeks, that we refresh ourselves, that you have given us all we need in Christ and the gospel to live out. Father, it's not just a trite saying, it is true. So help us to do that. Lord, we love you, we praise you. We ask these things for the glory of your name and the advancement of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to a time of close, I'm going to ask Mark to lead the next couple songs. And after that song, I'd like to make an announcement to you. I ask you to stay for it, but as we do, uh, if you'll join us as we close these last couple songs and sing out and join us in standing, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Thank you. Master, thou callest, I gladly Woo! Mm-hmm.